Awesome. So welcome to our philosophy of ministry class, part one. Uh, it's actually um, so philosophy of ministry, school of ministry. Um, I'm calling it two things, but really it's the same thing. And, and don't get tripped over about the word philosophy. Um, really what, the, what this is, I mean, the word philosophy is the study of knowledge or the study of truth. And so really we see that. Um, leave it like that. Make sure, make sure it's recording. Oh, it's recording. And so we see that, that, that as, we, so as we're studying this, I mean, we're going to study the, the philosophy of ministry, uh, specifically of Calvary Chapel. And so philosophy, again, all it means is the study of truth or the study of knowledge. I mean, and, and everybody has a philosophy. I mean, I have a philosophy of, you know, of life, right? My philosophy in life is, man, work hard, make right choices, and, man, you'll succeed, right? Uh, uh, surround yourself with good, with, with, with good people, godly people. All right, God-fearing people, and like that's my philosophy, right? You have a philosophy maybe about the way you uh, you drive, or the way you you know you teach your kids, or the way you just do certain things, right? Everybody has a philosophy in life, whether we recognize it or not, and that's just a, a, a system of truths that we live by, and that and that, and that and that we follow, right? And so we're going to look at what's called the, the philosophy of ministry now, meaning what it is that we, the system of truths and beliefs that we follow in ministering to the Lord here at church and specifically as a Calvary Chapel. And so because we're a Calvary Chapel ministry, I want this first class to be kind of an introduction to Calvary Chapel because some of us may not uh, be familiar with it, right? We get saved at this church and, and, and we don't know any other church and we don't really know what else is out there and we don't realize that people do things differently, right? And we soon realize that, man, not all churches teach the Bible, not all churches believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not all churches, you know, uh, believe in, in equipping the believers, not all churches, you know, believe in teaching uh, uh, children's ministry or teaching the kids at their own level, right? I mean, there's a church here next door that we, we see them Sunday, Sunday mornings when they get here, you know, they don't have a class for the kids. They don't do anything for the kids. They just, you know, the, the mom will come here on this side, you know, while everything's going on and they never teach the kids. So it's like, man, we start seeing, you know, why we do things a specific way. And so it all started actually with... Um, a man by the name of Pastor Chuck. And so as we go here uh, into through his notes, we're going to read a little bit about, you know, how this philosophy of ministry for Calvary Chapel was developed. And so as an overview, we're going to see in, these, in this class tonight, um, unity, you know, unity as a body of Christ. And like it says in Amos, it says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? And the same goes, the same is true for ministry. I mean, man, it says, can we walk together can we go towards the same towards the same at the same pace towards the same goal unless we agree on what it is and why it is that we're doing things right so unless we have one mind uh, then we can't right and so how can we serve together unless we have the same direction unless we have the same vision unless we have the same goal right how can we serve together we can serve together but we'll be bumping heads and kind of rubbing elbows unless we have the same vision and so we see that Pastor Chuck struggled with organized denominations in 15 ways. Pastor Chuck, though the Lord used them mightily to, to, to found uh, what's known as the Calvary Chapel and the Calvary Chapel movement, uh, we see that, man, he wasn't always a Calvary Chapel guy, right? He was a, a minister for 15 years at, at a denominational, as a, at a, as a Pentecostal denominational, denomination. And so we see that he did the things different for 15 years. Right? And I heard him say that, man, that God had to allow him to fail for 15 years before he could do something great through his life. And so Pastor Chuck struggled with the organized denomination. And a denomination is pretty much uh, within the church. There's different groups of people who have their own philosophy of ministries, right? And they fall into denominations, meaning they focus and they, and they highlight certain aspects of the walk of the believer. And they, 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 found, they found their whole ministry based on this one thing. 
For some, it's a spiritual gifts. For others, it's evangelism. For some, it's, you know, it's different things. But we see that Pastor Chuck struggled with the organized denominations in five ways. We see that Pastor Chuck had a problem with the organized denomination. Right? Pastor Chuck did not hate religion. He just hated that it had become an outward form of worship only before man. Right? And that's one of his struggles. And we see why did Pastor Chuck uh, like religion is because of the meaning of religion. And so we see that religion in itself is not a bad thing. You know, James talks about religion, right? And so the word religion, I mean, we, we, we hear it and it kind of just rubs you the wrong way. Like, I'm not religious, you know, I'm just a Christian, you know, but I, I love Jesus, right? We hear someone say, he's religious, religious. We hear the word religion and it rubs us the wrong way. But we see that religion in itself, it's not wrong, right? It's a beautiful thing. But it's when you begin to focus on those outward things of religion, like the appearance, the doing, you know, the works, all the liturgical part of it, that it becomes just his heavy burden. And so we see that Pastor Chuck didn't hate religion. You know, he just hated that it had become an outward form of worship, right? And so religion, one, it is the belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power uh, or a personal God or gods. That's what religion is because there's false religions out there also. It's also a particular system of faith and worship, and it's a pursuit of interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. So that's what religion is, in de- by definition. And so does God hate religion? No, God does not hate religion, right? But have you ever been part of an organized denomination? Then you understand, right? It's not that God hates religion, but if you've ever belonged to like some uh, organized denomination or organized religion that puts its emphasis on outward things, you begin to understand why it was that Pastor Chuck wanted to move away from the organized denomination. We see that Pastor Chuck had a problem with the pastor and topical teachings. Right? He was in a denomination that just taught topical. They never taught throughout the, through the Bible uh, from beginning to end, chapter by chapter, verse by verse when he first started off. We see that the denomination he belonged to did not encourage the pastor-teacher role, as do most denominations. Uh, they don't encourage the pastor-teacher role. Right? But instead, they encouraged um, exhortation, teaching, or topical teaching above expositional teaching. And so, just to define some of these words, in, in case you're, you're wondering, um, exhortation teaching or topical teaching is one man. I show up one, one day, we're going to do a service, and instead of me picking it up on the Gospel of Luke chapter, whatever, numbers, whatever chapter, uh, if, I've, if I've had a horrible week, and you know what, and, 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 and I've I don't know, I'm feeling a certain way. I'm going to come in the morning and that's what my message is going to be about, right? About how to, you know, train your kids or, or how to, I don't know, sort of whatever it is that's on my mind, whatever it is that's on my heart, whatever it is that I'm feeling, that's what the people are hearing that morning, right? That's, an, that's a topical teaching. An exhortational teaching would be more of like a motivational speech or a more motivational message using the Bible, right? But an expositional teaching, which is what we practice here at Calvary Chapel, City Terrace is the expounding of the word, meaning the extracting of the word and the teaching of the word to the people, right? We go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, expository teaching. That's what that is, expository teaching. And so we see that, is there anything wrong with just topical teaching? Um, Most churches, the majority of churches in the United States and really in the world, don't teach the Bible. They'll teach from the Bible, but they don't teach the Bible. And there's a difference. All right, there's a difference between teaching the Bible and teaching from the Bible. Right? Most churches, uh, the, the way you will go on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night or Thursday night or whenever it is that they have their services, and you'll see for the most part that 
there's a topical teaching there at that church, meaning that they go through topics and themes, and that's what they're what that's what they're what they're preaching Sundays and Wednesday mornings. And and um, we see that. All right, is there anything wrong with just topical teaching? Well, turn to uh, Proverbs chapter eight. We're going to look at a, a specific a specific scripture, you know, a specific topical scripture. Proverbs chapter eight. If you didn't know, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that that Jesus is not God, but that Jesus was actually created by God in the beginning. And so they don't believe that Jesus is God. They call him a God or lesser God, right? But they believe that, that Jesus was created by God. So he's not equal to the Father. He doesn't, you know, we shouldn't worship Jesus. We shouldn't uh, prescribe to him any specific uh, uh, form of deity or respect or reverence, right? Um, because he's not God according to them. And they use, uh, they use Proverbs chapter 8 to... Uh, pretty much send this message out there. And, and, and so if you talk to Jehovah's Witness on the street, typically, and if you begin to talk about Jesus, Jesus God, they'll be like, they'll say, no, he's created. He was Jehovah's first, crea- first creation. And then they'll take you to Proverbs chapter 8, and they'll say, that, they'll, they'll, they'll tell you, okay, go to Proverbs chapter 8, and start reading there in verse 22. It says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning. It says, before there was ever an earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. And when there were no fountains abounding with water, it says, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. And when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was beside him as a, as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. And so, notice, so they'll tell you, see, Jesus was created. He wasn't with, he, was, he didn't always exist. He's not eternal. Yeah, he's not eternal. God created, Jehovah created him in the very beginning. And they'll take you to this verse, uh, to this chapter, Proverbs chapter 8. And they'll say, see, look, that's Jesus speaking. Verse 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. It says, I have been established from everlasting from the beginning before there was ever an earth. And they'll say, see, aha, Jesus is not God. Jesus was created by God at the very beginning. He was Jehovah's very first creation. He is supreme over all creation. Right? And man, and somebody who doesn't know their Bible Right there, man, they'll become a Jehovah's Witness right there. They'll say, oh, you know, you're right. You're right. You know, I never saw that before. Right? And so that's a topical teaching. But if you go to the very beginning of chapter 8 of the book of Proverbs, notice what it says. It says, does not, does not wisdom cry out and, understand, and understanding lift up her voice. She takes her stand. And so we see that this whole chapter, chapter 8, is actually wisdom personified. It's not Jesus. This isn't talking about Jesus. But when we pick it up in verse 22, it's wisdom speaking, saying, saying the Lord possessed me at the very beginning of his way. Right. And so chapter eight of uh, the book of Proverbs is speaking about wisdom personified. Right. As if wisdom was a person and wisdom is speaking and saying and, he's, and wisdom is saying the Lord possessed me at the very beginning. It's not Jesus. But again, this is where the, where the problem comes in when, when we get into topical teachings. Right. Because if I just pick it up wherever I want and begin to to. To, uh, to teach at whatever part of scriptures without any background, without any context, without any foreknowledge, without any, any, any really uh, uh, foundation, right? 
Man, I can make the text say whatever I want. I can make the text say whatever I want, and I can make you believe whatever you want. And so whatever my little quirky ideas are, whatever my agenda is, I can make you believe it by, by twisting any scripture to form my belief and my idea. Right? So we see that that's where the problem comes in with topical teaching, is that as you teach just topically instead of expositionally throughout the whole Bible, man, the one, you can teach whatever you want, you can make the text say whatever you want, but also the hearer will never grow in the word because they're only man it's like you're just jumping back and forth from different texts right it's like if you're you're never given a solid meal you're just getting bits and pieces of the whole scripture but you 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 never get a solid foundation you, you never get a solid meal because you never get to to tie it all in right and so we see that that's where the where the where the problem comes in when you get to these 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 topical teachings and we see that that's the that's the problem that pastor chuck saw right that the believers weren't maturing because all they were being taught was just topically Right from topic to topic, instead of uh, just man, sound doctrine, sound truth. Right, interesting that uh, Paul there in Acts chapter twenty, as Paul as Paul is exhorting the 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 elders there of Ephesus, Paul says something. Right, very interesting, and it's really it's what we take as kind of our 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 our, our theme or kind of just a it, it's what we use as an example for why we teach through. The whole Bible. And Paul said this in Acts 20, verse 27. As he's writing to the Ephesian elders, he says, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Meaning that Paul is saying, Hey, look, I haven't shunned from teaching you all of Scripture. And now, logically, there's only one way you can do that. And Paul couldn't say that he did. Hey, I haven't shunned from teaching all the scripture unless he would have taught verse by verse. Unless he would have taught verse by verse, then you can't say, look, I've taught you all of scripture, right? Because all of scripture means every apostrophe, every, every period, every parenthesis, every word, every letter, every single scripture. So Paul says, hey, look, I haven't shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, right? There's only way you could declare that, and that's if you teach throughout the whole Bible. And so that's what Paul did, and that's what we do here at Calvary Chapel. And so we see that Pastor Chuck had a problem with the philosophy of ministry that was to evangelize the world also, right? He, he was in a denomination at a church which taught that the purpose of the church is to evangelize the world. And though it is a good thing, right? And though we're commanded and we're commissioned to evangelize, we see that that's not what the purpose of the church is, though it's a good thing. Right. Imagine if I came here and every Sunday, every, every Wednesday, every time we got together, I, it was an exhortation. All right, you guys got to go reach your neighbors. You got to go evangelize. You got to go and preach the gospel. Those are good things. But it's not the purpose of the church. Pastor Chuck would say, I could not find in scripture that, that said the primary pur- purpose of the church is to evangelize the world. Says, and I still can't find the scripture. Though a lot of churches make it their aim to, hey man, our Purpose for existing as a church is to go evangelize the whole world so that the whole world can be saved. It's a good thing, but we need to know that it's not the purpose of the church, right? And here's what happens, you know, when, when uh, in a church like that, that, uh, man, you know what, maybe there's somebody sitting in the church who doesn't have the gift of evangelism. Maybe they're very timid. Maybe they don't know how to go out there and, and spark up a conversation about Jesus with their neighbor or with a stranger. And so what would happen is for a person who's feeling that way when they would be sitting in the audience and they are hearing that the purpose of the church is to evangelize the world they're recognizing that they're very inadequate to do that and all of a sudden they recognize man you know what this is hard 
the delivery gets discouraged. He gets, you know, uh, uh, they, they, they get upset. They get whatever they, they think, man, something's wrong with me because I can't do this. Right? And then at the same time, on the same token, you get people who are trying to go evangelize and yet God has, hasn't gifted them in evangelism and they're struggling. And so sometimes we get into this, this little funk where we think, man, we're trying to be something that we're not called to be. And so we see that Pastor Chuck had a problem with the methods and the work of man when it comes to the ministry. Right? Meaning that trying to use man-made sources to get people to come to his church. Things like fundraisers, uh, not praying, or you know, religion, like liturgical things, traditional things, instead of spiritual doctrine. And so when you go back to, again, trying to be something that you're not called to be, man, that's not the purpose of the church, right? Later on, we're going to touch on this topic, but we see that the purpose of the church is for the edification of the believers, man, for the building up of the believers. And so when it comes again now to the methods and the workings of man when it comes to ministry, we see that Pastor Chuck had a problem with that also. You know, there are churches who... Um, they make it a name to get, like their whole goal is to grow the church in number, right? Make, establish a big church, be a pastor of a big church, and they use worldly methods to do so, like fundraisers. All right, man, hey, we need a big building, so hey, we're going to be selling chocolates on Sunday after church uh, there at the corner of uh, Super. And, you know, hey, we got to raise up, uh, our goal is uh, to raise up $20,000 by, by July. So come on, people, you get out there, evangelize. Uh, talk to your neighbors, go sell chocolate, go do whatever. Hey, man, we're selling, uh, we're going to sell tortas after, after, after church on Wednesday. And, you know, we got to raise up money and, and we got people to, you want to get people to come in or all these different things, right, that, have, that, 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 that depend on man and not depend on God. I like how it says there in the book of Acts, it says that the, that the Lord added to the church daily those who needed to be saved. And so we see that if God desires to grow a church as far as numbers... Uh, we see that that's completely up to the Lord, right? I can't, or well, I can, I can go to the church. I can get a lot of people in here by using worldly methods, but that's not what we want, right? We want people to, we want God to call people to this church and we want them to grow in depth, right? Grow in their depth and the knowledge of the scriptures and grow in their relationship with Christ, right? We're not concerned about numbers here. I'm not, my, I'm not trying to motivate people. Hey, come on, go out there. We gotta, you know, next Sunday, you got to bring your neighbor in. If you're not bringing some, someone new every Sunday, then something's wrong with you, right? Hey, I went to a church like that. My first year getting saved, I went to a Pentecostal church. And not that all Pentecostal churches are like this, but the one I was at, that was the thing, right? Where every single Sunday, every single Thursday that we would meet, it's like, man, if you're not bringing your neighbors, if you're not bringing your friends, if you're not bringing your coworkers to church, then, you know, hey, you're not being obedient, and I'd be there, I'd show up like, man, I know I'm going to hear it. And I wouldn't bring nobody. I don't want to bring anybody because there was some crazy things going on in there that I couldn't explain. And it's like, man, if I bring somebody, how am I supposed to explain that to them, right? There was this lady who would always uh, at worship. It's like, man, all right, you, it worship would start probably around the second song. You know, you would start seeing her go like this. And then she'll start weeping. It was already her little routine. I knew it. Then she'll start weeping. And then she'll start going, ah. And then next thing you know, she has a word from the Lord. She'll start like yelling out crazy, right? Supposedly like a prophecy from God. And I'm just like, man. And she would get really just emotional, like kind of scary. I'm like, man, how am I supposed to explain that to somebody? I'd be embarrassed. You know, and so we see that, that, that again, that Pastor Chuck came and he had a problem with these worldly methods to grow the church. And we see that the growth of the church as far as numbers, hey man, has nothing to do with me. And I like that. I like that because that's too much pressure. You know, I want to just focus on teaching the Bible, teaching the believers, helping them to grow in the knowledge of the Lord and other scriptures. And that's it, man. It's so simple. 
right? We leave the growth as far as numbers and spiritual, right, up to the Lord. And so we see that Pastor Chuck had a problem also with men looking to be served, right? And you see that typically when it comes to denominations, man, that whenever you get to a position like an usher or a head usher or a greeter or a pastor or, a, or you know, or assistant pastor, all these different things, right? People typically do it for the wrong motives, right? Because in denomination, they tend to elevate the position of a man. And so he, see, he saw that, that, uh, that leaders wanted to be popular and they wanted to be the one who people would look up to, right? He also noticed that there was no real discipleship to raise up men. And so it was just, man, everybody was striving for positions. They were striving to be noticed. And that the men that were in the church were just as frustrated as the leaders. And so Pastor Chuck had a problem with that. And he would say this. says, the problem, however, was not a lack of desire to be better witnesses. They desired to serve the Lord. The problem was that they didn't really know how because they were not taught. And all they ever had was that baby bottle. Right? Pastor Chuck saw the, the, the frustration in the church where, man, people wanted to serve God, but they didn't know how because they were never taught how. Right? They were never taught about spiritual gifts. They were never taught about their identity in Christ. They were never taught about you know, who they are you know, in the Lord. All they, were, all they were encouraged to do was, hey, evangelize, bring someone to church, and you know, hey, striving for positions. And so we see that he had a, afterwards, a few, after a few years, he had a change of, in philosophy. And he said, I was trying to be something that I was not called to be. Right? Pastor Chuck, when he was uh, there ministering at, at that church, uh, he has said it himself. He said that, that he would preach these evangelist, evangelistic messages. He would come to church and his message would be uh, fitted more for the non-believer, right? For the sinner who doesn't know Christ. And he would preach these amazing evangelistic messages to move the hearts of a sinner to come to Christ. He said the only problem was that Everyone in the church was saved already. <laughs> you know, they didn't need to come to Christ. They, needed, they were already saved. They were already believers. Right? What they needed was to grow in the Lord. But he says, I didn't know how to, how to, how to do that in them. And so he, he was trying to be something that he was not called to be. And so as we discovered, uh, we see that Pastor Chuck had a change in philosophy. Right? And so he's, he says, what then is the purpose of his church? And he recognized, man, the purpose of my church is to bring glory to God, right? To be God's instrument of ministry to the Lord. But also, we see that in a secondary sense, the church exists for the edifying or the building up of the saints. That's of the believers, right? To bring the saints into full maturity so that they might engage in the work of the ministry. And it's something that we see in the book of Ephesians, right? The book of Ephesians tells us, chapter 4, Paul says the purpose of the church is for the building up of the believers. It's not for the building up of the pastor's ego or the pastor's position or for the growing of the church, right? To make it a huge church, well-known in the community with lots of numbers. No, right? If God desires to bless the church in numbers, he's going to do so. If not, then he's, then he's not, right? And both are good, right? But we see that the purpose of the church is not those things, but it's for the edifying, for the building up, for the equipping of the saints, of the believers. That's the hearers. So my duty as a pastor teacher is to teach you the word of God in such a way that you would be built up, that you would be edified, that you would be equipped to answer the call of God in your life, whatever that may be. That's my duty as I teach the Bible. And so we see that Pastor Chuck had eight simple points for a successful ministry in his booklet. And that's the, we'll talk about that afterwards. And so he said that uh, Pastor Chuck saw that the purpose of the church was for the perfecting of the saints. And he says this, he says, but I did, I did find in Ephesians 4 that God has placed gifted men 
for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And this brought into my life a tremendous philosophical, philosophical change as far as my concept of the purpose of the church was concerned. And so turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, if you will. And we're going to read it for ourselves. First, second, first Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. That's where you find it. And in Ephesians chapter four, there in verse eleven, Paul writes and he says, "Where is it? Oh, here it is." He says in Ephesians four eleven, he says, "And he himself, that's Christ, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets." some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Notice for what, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edification, for the edifying of the body of Christ until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so we see that the purpose of the church, according to Ephesians 4, is for the perfecting of the saints, to make the believers strong, to bring them into full maturity, to feed them the word of God, to love them, to strengthen them, so that they would be able to be engaged in the work of the ministry, right? So my duty as a pastor teacher is, is these things, right? Is to equip you and to pour into you, to teach you so that you would know the word of God and so you would be able to hear from God, right? And know what it is that the Lord is requiring of you and, and be able to fully serve him in that, in that role, Right, as, as God is, is, is calling you to serve him, that's the duty of the pastor, right? It's not about me. It's not about my ego. It's not about lifting me up. It's not about building my church. But it's about strengthening the church of Christ, the, the church of God, the church of Christ, right? The believers. That's what it's all about. Right? That's what it's all about. And so we see, uh, Pastor Chuck said, when we started Calvary Chapel in 1965, uh, with only 25 people, I was determined that I would make those 25 people the most knowledgeable people of God's word in all the harbor area. He says, never forget that it's not your job to add to the church. That's his job. Your job is to feed the flock, to tend the flock, to love the flock, and see that, that they're well cared for. And so my duty again as a pastor is this, right? To love the flock, to feed the flock, to tend the flock, to make sure that they're loved, to make sure that they are taught. That's it. And with this in mind, man, notice that it's not a Catholic chapel thing. It's a biblical thing. Right? It's not that he's just making up his own thing. Oh, you know what? I think this will be good for our church. No, but he's taking, it's taken directly from Scripture. And with that in mind, man, if you ever visit another church or you see something else going on, you'll be able to recognize right away, man, his, this guy's motives are somewhere else. His purpose for doing this is off. Right? There's, there's, there's ill intention in this. If, if his purpose is not to feed the church, to, to tend to the flock, to build up the believers, to love them, then it's, he's doing it with a different intention. Right. And so we see that Pastor Chuck saw that the purpose of the church is to look for people that want to serve. Notice what it says there in Exodus 18. We have that as an example. I'm going to turn there and I'll read it for you guys. We have an example in Exodus 18 of the type of men that, that God wants to use, men and women. And so it says this in Exodus 18, if I can find it. Let me read it for you guys. Exodus 18, 
verses 13 through 24 says, And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw that, all he did for the people, he said, What is this thing that you're doing? This is for the people. Why do you sit at, why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one another, and I make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' Moses' father-in-law said to him, Hey, the thing that you're doing is not good. Both you and the people who are with you are surely going to tire yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. He says, now do this. He says, listen. He says, and I'm going to give you counsel from God. He says, uh, he says, stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the, which the laws and the laws to show them the way in which they must walk and the work which they must do. And then he says, moreover, he says, do this. He says, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, who hate covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the peoples at all times. And so we see that, that, that uh, Moses was given this instruction you know, by his father-in-law. And Moses was the only guy there in the group of millions. And everyone was coming to him with their problems. So they'd be there all day long, all day long right? And some of them would be waiting in line for hours to talk to him and never even get to speak to Moses. So Jethro's... Advice to Moses was like, hey man, look, look for men with these specific qualities. And he gives us these qualities. Able men, right? So men of ability, men who fear God, men of truth, and men who hate covetousness. Just and appoint these as leaders within the people, right? And it's important, man, because you got to remember that, that, uh, that the pastor can't do everything, right? It's, uh, and, and I'm so blessed, you know, by man, we're a little church and, and, little, and because we're little, we have little needs, but there's still needs, you know, and there's still things that need to be fulfilled. And I'm so blessed by, by those who step up to serve, right, with, without me having to say anything. You know, sometimes I will bring up certain things that, that, that need to, hey, man, you know, they, they need to get addressed. Like, hey, we need this for Sunday. We need this for Wednesday. But for the most part, man, I'm blessed to see the body of Christ just rising up and just serving, right? serving at, at whatever capacity God has called them to serve. Because, man, remember that the pastor can't do everything, Right. For a while, man, we were, it did feel like we were doing everything, you know, but we're blessed. Even from the beginning, you know, man, you know, we had like people like Mark and Gigi from the very beginning who were here helping us out, you know, stuff like that. But man, you take a church like Golden Springs, for example, right? Huge church, Pastor Raw. Imagine if Pastor Raw was there in the five o'clock in the morning, Sunday mornings. He's setting up the cones for the parking lot. Okay, man, he's setting all the stuff up, right? As the cars are coming in, he's waving them in. And then as he's waving them in, he runs to the front door to greet everybody. Hey, how are you doing? And as they're walking in, he runs to the front, uh, to, to, the, to, the, to the sanctuary so he could show them where to sit. And then, uh, then he runs up real quick to the stage. He does worship for, for everybody. And then he runs to the back and he, and, he, and he teaches the kids real quick. And then he comes back out and he teaches a Bible study. And then he runs out to the outside and he, and he says goodbye to the people. Man, you realize he'd be burnt out. Right? And so we see that, that, that the pastor can't do everything. Right? And so uh, God is desiring to raise up men and women you know, of, of this, of this, of, with this description, men who are able, right? who fear God, who are men and women of truth, and who hate covetousness. Notice that that's one of the requirements and for ministry. You have to hate covetousness. That word covetousness means that you, uh, might, you desire something that belongs to someone else to the point where it becomes sinful. Right? And, and, we, and we see that that's very important, especially in ministry, because, man, 
Sometimes, you know, there's a tendency for a person to be in ministry and to desire the position or title or ministry that God has given someone else. And they'll strive in a carnal way to achieve or to gain these things. And it's not good, right? Division comes because of these things, because men and women strive for position, strive for ministry, strive for something else that someone else has and they want it. Right? And so, and so uh, God's instructed to Moses or through Jethro, well, hey man, the people you said as leaders, they're to hate covetousness not 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 just not be covetous but instead of hate covetousness right that can be descriptive of the believer especially if you're in ministry and so we have the same uh the same reputation or the same qualities actually given to us there in acts chapter 6 if you want to turn there acts chapter 6 beginning in verse 1 as uh we see that there was a need that that arose there in the in the first century church as the Holy Spirit has fallen upon the believers, we see that God begins to do a mighty work. People are getting saved there in Jerusalem. And as a result, there's both Jews and, and, uh, and uh, Gentiles, Greeks, who are getting saved. They have like this little food distribution, a food pantry going on, and, and a need arises. And we see that this need arises for somebody to step up and pretty much be a distributor of food. Right? And, and notice what, what it says there in Acts chapter 6. It says, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, meaning those, uh, those Greek, Greek believers. It says, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Right? And so as, what's going on there in the book of Acts chapter 6 is that, again, as this need arises, there's a, a little bit of contention with, within the body of Christ. There's this daily distribution of food for all the widows, all the Christian widows. But some of them were Hebrew Christians and some of them were Greek Christians. right? But all of them are widows. And so as the food is being distributed to every single day, it was like a, um, what do you call it, a pantry. Like a pantry and people would go for food. We see that the, that the Hellenists or the, the Grecian widows were being neglected. So that means that, that the believers who were distributing the food were showing preference to the Hebrew, to the, to the Jewish widows, right? They're, they're, they're of their own kind. And so the 12 disciples, it says, hey, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Meaning, it's not that they were above it, but they're saying, look, it's better for us to not be taken away from the study of the word, to teach the word, to go deal with these issues, right? Because the main thing is teaching the word. So he says, therefore, brethren, verse three, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so they say, look, man, it's not good for us to, 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 to take time from our studying and from our teaching and from prayer to go deal with the food distribution. So instead, what we're going to do is that we're going to look for, for, uh, for individuals among you, among the believers. And he says, with, this, with these qualities, they must be of good reputation, they must be full of the Holy Spirit, and they must possess wisdom. Right. And so we see that Pastor Chuck saw that the purpose of the church is really what's known as a theocracy. And a theocracy is really just means uh, governed by God. Israel in the Old Testament, as we're reading about them there in the book of Numbers, man, they were always meant to be a theocracy, right, with God as their king. It wasn't until, until uh, the book of Judges, uh, actually 1 Samuel, that the people begin to cry out to God, well, to Samuel, and they say, we want a king over us like the rest of the nations. Why do all the nations have a king over them, but we don't? And really what they were doing is that they were rejecting God from being king over them. 
right? A theocracy meaning that they have theos. That's theos is the word, the Greek word for God. Uh, instead of democracy or anything else, they had a theocracy meaning that God was to govern over the people, and He would set judges in their midst, whom He would speak to, and they would govern uh, on His behalf. But God was to be their king, and so. Pastor Chuck said that the purpose of the church should be like a theocracy, right? It's not that we should, man, uh, work like a government, right? And have democracy and all these different things. But we see that in that, it's kind of where we take our, 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 our idea of leadership, right? In Calvary Chapel. And so we see that in scripture, we find four basic forms of church government. And as we go through some of these words, they'll probably sound familiar to you. So... One of them is called the Episcopus, or you know, with bishops or overseers. Have you ever heard of the Episcopalian Church? An Episcopalian Church is a Christian church, but typically their leadership style is they have leaders who make all the decisions, right, for the for the church. A, the group of leaders they vote on it. Well, hey man, I think we should do this. Well, yeah, let's vote on it, and everyone will vote on it. And depending on how many yeas or nays they get, they'll go, they'll move forward with a specific thing, right? We have the what's known as the Presbyterius. Presbyteros, or what's known as elders type of rule, um, which is, I don't know if you've ever heard of the church, the Presbyterian church, but they have this, this form of church government where, again, it's, it's, it's uh, ruled by, by one elder, by one person in charge, right? Not a group of elders, but just one person who makes all the decisions. And then they have, there's a third type of leadership that we see, and that's congregational rule, meaning that hey, all the decisions are made by the congregation, the pastor says, hey, all right, guys, I think we should do an outreach here. God's giving me a vision to go into ministry to the community, City Terrace Park, and we're going to go to Snowcone Outreach. And the body says, you know what, let's vote on that. And now, nah, you know what, I don't think it's a good idea because we voted on it, and, and I don't think we should do that. Oh, man, all right, my hands are tight. Even though I have a good desire to do things, I'm, I'm limited by I'm, my hands are tight because the church, the congregation rules on these things. And so we see that there's problems with, with all three of these. And then there's a fourth type of church government. And it's called the theocracy or the, theo- the theocratic government, which is, which is the, the, the form that, that we take, which is the, the example that we take here as far as Calvary Chapel. And so how do we define a theocracy first? Right? A theocracy is a people or person who are ruled by God. That's it. Right? The nation of Israel in its inception was a, theocr- a theocratic form of government. It was God ruled. Right? The people didn't rule, the elders didn't rule, but it was, man, they heard from God. And so, we see that the word theocracy comes from two Greek words. Theos, which means God, and arche, which means means of rule. And so, a theocracy is a form of government where God is a direct authority. God, as supreme being, directs, directly rules over a nation, a state, or a chosen people. And a theocracy is a conditional and voluntary covenant, meaning that any Moment, I say, you know, God, I don't, I don't, I don't want you to rule over me. I'm going to go do my own thing, right? It's, 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 uh, it's an agreement, right? It's, it's, it's a covenant. It's voluntary, and a theocracy is based on abiding with God. So as long as I continue to abide in, in God in Christ, I guess as long as I continue to seek God, as long as I continue to cultivate my relationship with God, Amen. I'm being led by God. I'm being ruled by God, right? Hey, I just call Jesus my Lord and my Savior, meaning that I give Him complete authority over my life, right? So. All of us as believers, you know, we should look at our relationship with God as a form of theocracy, meaning that, look, God is over our lives, man. He is the one who calls, our, calls the shots in our lives, right? He's a good God. And so notice what it says there in Deuteronomy chapter 11. This is where we get the, the example for this type of, of church government. And so there in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 11, 
says, eleven twenty-two. It says, "For if you carefully keep all these commandments which I commanded to you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to hold fast to Him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves." Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours from the wilderness of Lebanon. says, from the river, the river Euphrates, to the western sea shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear upon you, of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he has said to you. But behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods, which you have not known. And so we see that, that in it, we, we see this again, this decision, right? And, and God, nowhere in the Bible does he ever force anybody to serve him. But he says, look, man, the blessing is in the relationship with God. And if you choose to abide in the relationship with God, man, you're going to be a recipient of those blessings, right? But if you choose to walk away from that, then, man, God can't bless you the way he wants you because man, you're not in the place to receive Man, so we see that a theocracy is where the people were to be ruled by God, right? The nation of Israel at the beginning was a theocratic form of government. It was uh, to be God-ruled. And so theocracy is a form of government. And we see that it has God as a supreme being who, directs, who directly rules over the people who submit to him. And in the church, uh, we see the anointing on the pastor and the people of God are in direct fellowship with God and a theocracy is conditional and voluntary covenant and a theocracy is based on abiding and fellowship with God. And so this is kind of the, again, the, the example of, of church government that we take is that, look, uh, God has called me right, to be the pastor of Calvary Chapel City Terrace. I hear from God or I have a relationship with the Lord. Uh, I seek vision from God. But, and so I'm, I'm placed here as a, as a form of leadership, right? As I'm, I'm, I'm leading this church. But also, all of us are free to hear from God. And so, if all of us are in tune with the Holy Spirit, right, seeking God, abiding in Christ, then man, we'll be one. Because as I'm seeking God, look, God's not going to tell you something and tell me something different. Right? We're serving the same God. We're hearing from the same God. So, He's going to cause us to be in tune with His Spirit. It's not that I'm right here making all the, causing all the shots. But no, I'm seeking God. Lord, what do you want for this church, God? It's your church. It's your ministry. Lord, it's, it's your people. God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do here? Right? And as I'm seeking God, hey, I'm just a voice, man. I'm just a voice as I'm submitted to the Lord and whatever he wants to do here. Right? It's not that I wake up one morning and say, oh, you know, we're going to do these classes. Or we're going to do this. We're going to do that. No, man, I prayed about these things. Right? I seek God and God gives me the okay. And so as we're all seeking God, man, we can all hear from the Lord. And so uh, we see that Pastor Chuck saw that the purpose of the church was to give expository teaching. I'm sorry. Can you, can you turn off the theater, please? I'm, I'm, like, I'm burning up right here. Thank you. So we see that the that the Pastor Chuck saw that the purpose of the church was to give expository teaching. Isaiah 28, 9 through 10 says, Whom will he teach knowledge? And whom uh, will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk? It says, No, those just drawn from the breast, for precept upon must be upon precept, and uh, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Right? It's what the prophet Isaiah said. I mean, look, man, God wants to teach us. Precept upon precept, line upon line. That's how the Lord takes us, right? He teaches us 
little by little. He says, and he said, so in changing my philosophy, I no longer preached evangelistic sermons per se, but began to teach the word of God in a consistent way designed to produce growth within the believers. And we see, man, that's the key. That's the key, man. As I come up here and teach, my, my, my goal isn't to preach a bomb message. I'm not up here trying to say, all right, man, man, they're going to love this one. You know, I got to come up with, you know, uh, uh, these good sayings, right? These, you know, catchy catchphrases, something, you know, I got to give them a bomb message. No, that's not my intention. But my intention is to uh, develop growth in your personal walk with the Lord as I teach the truth of the scriptures, right? And that's how it should be. We see that another primary distinctive of Calvary Chapel is our endeavor to declare to people the whole counsel of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. All right, so there's certain things that make Calvary Chapel churches distinct, and this is one of them, right? The teaching of the whole Bible, right? Hopefully, I, I hope to one day, you know, if, man, the Lord tarries, I hope to one day be able to say, man, look, I taught throughout the whole Bible. I taught the believers the whole Bible, and I'm going to do it again, and I'll do it again until I die, right? That's the goal, to teach the whole Bible, Right? Again, Paul would say to the Ephesian elders there in Acts 20, 27, he says, For I have not shunned declaring to you the whole counsel of God. We see that that's where the growth comes in the believer's life is as they learn the scriptures, as they taught the scriptures. Right? And so I want you guys to grow. Right? I want the church to grow. Uh, not so much in numbers. If God chooses to do that, whatever. You know, that's not an issue. That's not something I think about at all, to be honest. But I want you guys to grow in depth. We live in a society today where churches are this wide and they're this deep. So superficial, right? And what we want is, man, for it to be this wide and to be this deep, right? It doesn't matter how wide it is, you know, but man, as long as it's depth, you know, that's where the true growth is, is, is in the depth of the knowledge, right? Not in the, in the number of the people, but in the depth of the knowledge. And so by teaching the Bible verse by verse, we will, one, know God and His will. Two, the Bible will bring us freedom from sin. Three, the Bible will bring us fullness of joy. And four, the Bible will bring us assurance of salvation. So we see how important it is to teach the Bible. Not from the Bible, not teach from the Bible, but teach the Bible. Right? Because it produces these good things in the ears, in the life of the hearers of the Word. Right? They'll know God, they'll know His will. Uh, they'll, they'll be free from sin, right? They'll, they'll have joy in their salvation and they'll have assurance of their salvation as they're taught the word, the whole Bible. And there in 1 Timothy, you know, Paul exhorted young Timothy. He tells him, until I come, he says, give attention to reading, to the exhortation, and to doctrine, right? That word doctrine means the truth of the scripture, to doctrine. Notice that he didn't say, hey, all right, until I come back, uh, Try to go, uh, you know, try to, I want to come back. I want to see a huge church, Timothy. So I want to see, if you, have I left with 100 people? I want to come back and see 200 people. Or I want to see a huge building. Or I want to see all these different programs going on. No. He says, give attention to reading. That's reading the scripture. To exhortation, exhorting the believers to the word. And to doctrine, preaching, teaching, sound truth. And he would say this in 2 Timothy. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it. And it is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and in righteousness. Man, that's what the scripture is. Paul recognized that all scripture is inspired by God. That word inspiration, it, uh, in the Greek it means breathed. So Paul says, hey, all scripture is God breathed, all of it. Even Leviticus, even all those you know, different sacrifices and those three 
chapters of just nothing but names. Hey, God inspired that. God breathed that scripture. And so we see that all of it is profitable in the believer's life for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction and in righteousness. So it's why we give such importance to the teaching of the Bible. It's in the Word, man. The power is in the Word. It says that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we see that if you go straight through the Bible, you'll be declaring the whole counsel of God if you go through the whole Bible. And your emphasis will become a biblical emphasis, right? Not, man, sometimes you'll go to church and um, I'm only going to tell you because it's happened to me. You go to church and you've been going through something in your life and whoever invited you to church, they told the pastor, hey man, I'm inviting my, uh, I'll say, I'm inviting my son, I'm inviting him because uh, he's been doing this, he's been getting in trouble with this. So you, all of a sudden you show up and psh, lo and behold, the message is about, you know, young guys doing drugs and getting caught up in these things. You're like, man, this guy's, you know, who told him, right? And, and, and you, then, so we see that if you're not teaching through the whole Bible, man. You can easily point people out, point people's sins out, go on these different little rants and whatever it is that I want to get across, right? If I'm upset with the political, the way the political world is going, man, best believe that the message on Sunday morning is, uh, I don't know, all these different things about, I'm not even going to go into that. <laughs> but you, can, you, you see where I'm going with that, right? But if you go through, straight through the Bible, you're going to be declaring the whole counsel of God and the emphasis won't be on my own personal convictions or my own personal you know, likes or dislikes or whatever, but the emphasis will be a biblical emphasis, right? And we see that sometimes we show up to work, to, 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 I mean, to work, to church, and we do feel like the Lord is speaking directly to us through the scripture. And it kind of does feel like, man, who told them that about me? But you could be safe knowing that, look, nobody told me anything. I'm just teaching through the scripture. This is where we left off last week, and this is where we're picking up today. It's not that I'm trying to poke at anybody or trying to, you know, uh, you speak to somebody from the pulpit. Hey, man, I'm teaching the word. And as I'm teaching the word, God is speaking to the people, right? Nothing personal. Don't take anything personal, right? Just, hey, it's the script. It's where we're at. It's where we left off. And it's where we pick up. And we see as we teach through the Bible, God's word will not return void. That's a promise that he gives us, right? That it's his word that doesn't return void. There in Isaiah 55, 8 through 11, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. And then he says this about the word. God says this about his word. He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And for as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, says that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, says so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent. That's to say this. My words, whatever I have to say, is going to come back empty to me. Right. But if I'm just declaring God's word, man, God's word never comes back empty because that's what he promised. He says that his word is never going to return void. God said that his word is like the rain that we just received. I just saw a post the other day that, today actually, that this, right, we're in a historic drought here in California and just because of this rain, now we're out, all of a sudden, man, from one moment to another, we're, we're no longer, you know, in a historic drought, but it's kind of reversed everything. Now we're like, man, an abundance of greenery and water and the reservoirs are full. And God said, that's how his word is, that it doesn't return void. It's like the rain that comes down with a purpose and it accomplishes that purpose, which it's sent out to be. So I would rather teach God's word, which doesn't return void, than give my own personal opinions or whatever, which you're going to walk out and forget about and are going to do nothing for you, nothing for me, nothing for anybody, right? The importance is in the word. 
Pastor Chuck saw that the purpose of the church was and would be a work of the Holy Spirit. Right? He would say, Calvary Chapel believes in teaching the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, which changes the lives of the people of God. Right? There in Zechariah 4, 6, it says, we have a scripture, which is the scripture that God gave Pastor Chuck as he was you know, uh, uh, doing the work there at Calvary Chapel, the first Calvary Chapel in Coastal Mesa. And he says, so he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to the reputable. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Right? And so we see that whatever goes on here is a direct work of the Holy Spirit. It's not because of me. Right? If you're growing your walk, if you're drawing closer to Jesus, hey, it's not because I'm so special because my messengers are so bomb or whatever. No, it's because the Holy Spirit is working in your life. And that's what we want. Right? If it was because, if, if I was making up my own messages and all you would hear was my messages, then I could take credit for it. But because all I'm doing is teaching the word, hey, God gets all the credit. Right? It's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's how we want it. Right? All the attention goes to God. I'm just a voice. And so we see that at Calvary Chapel, we recognize the need for a balance. And we also recognize the need for the solid foundation by teaching of the word, right? The need for the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see that, man, they go hand in hand, right? Not that we neglect the Holy Spirit and only put an emphasis on the word. And it's not that we put an emphasis or, or that we put an emphasis on the Holy Spirit and neglect the word. But no, we find this perfectly balanced. There's other churches who say of us as Calvary Chapel that Calvary Chapel doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit because you don't see it like this. Uh, very charismatic, dynamic, uh, kind of like outward showy displays of, you know, quote-unquote works of the Holy Spirit when you come to a Calvary Chapel. You go to other churches, you see that a lot of churches are very charismatic. You go in there, the worship is, you know, people are dancing, they're clapping, people are speaking in tongues, they're declaring, they're yelling out, and all these different things, and that's between them and God. But people would even say of Calvary Chapels, hey man, they don't believe in the Holy Spirit because they don't see these different things going on in Calvary Chapel Church. Right? And so I've been accused of that. I've been, I've been accused by someone who didn't know, you know, what we believe that. Like, hey, you guys don't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You guys don't believe in the Holy Spirit, huh? Like, what do you mean, man? Dude, this is a work of the Holy Spirit, right? And so little do they know that on any given Sunday morning or Wednesday night, whenever it is that we meet, man, there's multiple gifts being exercised just from the pulpit. One, as I'm teaching, is the gift of pastor, the gift of teacher, the gift of word of wisdom, word of knowledge, exhortation, right? Sometimes evangelism, uh, Man, and, and we see this going on just that's like six or seven gifts just from the pulpit, right? Just because you don't see the tongues or the prophecy, even prophecies exercised from the pulpit, but just because they don't see the outward showy ones, they're like, oh, the Holy Spirit's not there. You guys don't believe in the Holy Spirit. But now look, the gift of, uh, of teaching is, is, being, is being used there in children's ministry as the teachers are teaching the kids. Man, even that has to be done through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And, and know that the same Holy Spirit that's working in us is working in the kids as well. They don't get a Holy Spirit Junior because they're little. No, they get the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and that and that raised us. Hey, man, dwells in these little and in, in these little kids, man, who, who who are seeking to learn about Jesus as well. Know that that's going to be powerful as you as you teach the kids. And so, but we see that there's a balance, right? Some people would, would emphasize, and there is ministries out there, typically reformed, reformed uh, doctrine, reformed reformed theology. You know, guys who call themselves Calvinists, they typically, for the most part. They, they neglect the, the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer now. And they say, hey, look, the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, ended with the First Testament church there in Acts. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for today. So they completely negate the Holy Spirit and they focus only on the Word. And then you have the other extreme, which focuses mainly on the Holy Spirit and the gifts and neglects the Word. So you have two extremes. 
right? And so where does Calvary Chapel fall in that? Boom, right in the middle. Right? We need a balanced theology. And so we recognize the need for both, right? And we see that the type of man that God uses, or woman, right? God uses a man who relies upon him with a regular, fervent prayer life, right? There's these three uh, prepositions for the Holy Spirit given us to us in the, in the scripture, and that's the para, the en, and the epi, which are three Greek prepositions, which mean the with, para, is the Holy Spirit will be with us, and the Holy Spirit will be in us, and epi, the Holy Spirit will come upon us, right? We believe in the 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we believe that the use of the gifts will be decently and in order, right? Paul gives us instruction there in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, as far as gifts in the, Holy, in, in the church being used. And he says, let everything be done decently and in order. Right? Pastor Chuck would say, it takes the power of the Spirit of God to make the changes. But it takes the Word of God to give the substance and to give the foundation. So we, see, we need to find this perfect balance. Right? Pastor Chuck saw that the purpose of the church was looking to minister and to serve. And he would say the philosophy of Calvary Chapel is giving and ministering rather than taking and being ministered to. Man, uh, I forgot. Somebody invited me on Instagram to, uh, to their church. I'm not going to say the name because it's being recorded and you can ask me later if you want. But uh, I'm like, all right, let me scope it out. I've heard things about this church, right? It's, it's right now, it's like blowing up, right? It's like, man, they're having like four or five services. They're having like thousands of people go to it, right? It's blowing up. It's in Whittier. And um, I was talking to, to a Calvary Chapel who was down the street from them. And they're like, man, yeah, do every Sunday we go. We're just kind of looking at them. And then they have little, they, they had to buy little buses or like little golf carts to go transport the people to the, to the parking lot. And the guy's like, man, you know, once somebody would get tempted and be like, man, well, I wonder what they're doing, you know, to get so many people. And, you know, and, and we you know, just in conversation, like, but you know, you know what, like, we know that. Hey, look, they're there for different reasons and stuff, you know. So anyway, somebody sent me a link to, to this church because they were having an event for Christmas. And um, I'm like, all right, let me, let me just check them out. You know, I've been hearing about them. Let me, let me check out. Boom, the first message I hear, um, it's about maybe like an hour of worship. There's like 20 minutes of actual, you know, quote-unquote preaching. And towards the end, it's like, man, he's, he's hyping the people up. And the last 10 minutes are just pretty much, all right, all that was to say, uh, so to the ministry, I meaning give money to the ministry. That's pretty was what, what it was. You know, he was hyping the people up using all these extravagant things and, and the core of the message was that's why you got to give to God you know because God's going to return to you wherever you give him and the emphasis was on giving and stuff and uh, we see that that's definitive of a lot of ministries that they exist to pretty much man to fleece the flock instead of feed the flock and it's unfortunate it's unfortunate that, that goes on but we see that a Calvary Chapel exists to minister right and our and, and our emphasis is on giving hey I, I'm I don't think I've said anything. Yeah, I think this whole time we've been here, you know, I'm proud. You know, I'm, I'm proud to say, I don't mean it in a prideful way, but I'm saying, man, we're trusting God. But I, I'm, I'm proud to say that, man, you know what? I don't, I've never said, hey, come on, guys, you got to start giving. You got to start tithing. You got to start giving your offering. You should, no, because I recognize that that's the work of God. Right? And, and our, our purpose is to give. My purpose is to give. Man, I want to give you guys the word of God. Right? Take time away from my marriage. Take away time from my family. Take away time from things that I want to do to study the word. So I can give you my time and give you, man, what it is that God's giving me, right? As I'm teaching the word because, as I'm studying the word because I want to teach and want you to be well equipped and taught. So we see that our purpose is, as a Calvary Chapel's man, is to give, right? Give to the community, give to you, give to the believers instead of taking from the people. We're ministering to the people. And us as servants too, man, our desire should be to minister. 
you know, to give, not to be served and not to be ministered to, right? Jesus, man, being God himself, the son of God, came and, 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 and man, he would take his, his, uh, his robe off and begin to just, man, serve the disciples, right? And he had every single right to, to require of them, man, he's God. But instead, no, he gave out to the people. And so we see that we were simply operating according to the truth of the scriptures. And as Jesus said there in Acts 20, 35, it says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's something that we've seen in our lives. And it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? I, man, it just, you get so blessed when you give. Now, interesting that that word minister really means servant. That's what that word means. That word minister in the Bible, in the New Testament, the Greek word for it is, is servant. Servant. So people look at the ministry as like, oh, cool, man, I'm going to be a pastor, I'm going to be in a position, I'm going to be in leadership, so that people could come serve me. And really, they don't recognize that the, the title minister means servant, meaning that, man, as I'm ministering here at Calvary Chapel City Terrace, I'm your servant. I'm God's servant first, but secondary, I'm your servant. Right? Not that you're coming, you came here to serve me, but no, I came here to serve you. That's what the, and that's the role of a pastor. Anybody who, any pastor who has that twisted and thinks of it the opposite way, the people are here to serve me. Hey Amen. They got it all wrong. Right? They got it all wrong. The purpose and the word of minister means servant. So the minister is a servant in the ministry. I'm not the number one guy. You know, God is the number one guy. I'm his servant. Right? So I'm a servant. That's all I am. And ministry is a service that we give. That's it. Right? We give these different titles, ministry, ministerial. And ministry also means is service, our service unto God. And so remember, it was Jesus, again, who took his towel and he girded himself and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Right? And, and interesting that as he did that, it was actually the job of the lowest servant of the household to do that, not the master. But Jesus would say, hey, you've seen me, your Lord and your master, do this, and so you are to do it to one another. Hey, serve each other, he would say. Right? And so we see that... Um, on the topic of, of service and ministry, we see that old school ministers are willing to do it all. Right, you get people in ministry nowadays, pastors who, man, they're too scared to get their hands dirty. They're too scared to roll up their sleeves and, you know, hey man, start cleaning and start wiping or start, hey man, whatever it may be. You see that nowadays. You, they're like, oh, you know what? Hey, I got to keep myself clean or I got to, that's, that's, a, that's, you know, below my pay grade or that's not for me. You're right? I'm the pastor. I shouldn't be doing these things. And we said, no way, man. The minister, old school ministers, man, they'll do it all, right? Let us, let us never get too big to be a servant. That should be our heart, man. Never, let us never get too big to be a servant, right? We see that the call of each of these guys, like Paul. Paul would say, hey, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Jeremiah would say, he says, and I cannot keep the word in me. He says, I had to preach it, right? And the Lord says, hey, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so if you and I are called into the ministry, we will be committed to His Word, right? We'll be committed to fellowship with God. We'll be committed to service, to service or to ministry, and we'll be committed to serving others, right? Now, this will be a grateful tool for you to understand what a leader looks for. As you desire to serve in ministry, man, we look for people who, for a person who is a servant, meaning, man, you're disciplined inside and out, mind and body, right? Uh, you need to be the people the church can depend, can depend on. Gifts, I'm going to go on a little tangent. Gifts and talents mean nothing if you're not reliable, if you can depend on you. Man, what does it matter if you're the most gifted teacher, if you're the most gifted worship leader, if the moment we need you, oh man, you're always flaking out, right? And so gifts and talents will open doors, but a calling will keep you there. 
And so we see that with a lot of people, especially in ministry, and uh, man, people want to be used by God, and they're very talented, they're very gifted, but they're not dependable, they're not reliable. And, and we see that, man, uh, we can't use people like that, right? Um, it's, it's, one, it's stress, it's just things that, that man, that it, they're, 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 it just, they're unreliable, it puts more of a burden on, on, the, on the church, you know, to, oh man, this person said they were going to come, and the last minute they flaked out, and now we got to scramble and find someone to take their place. It's burdensome, it's very burdensome. And I think it was Pastor Chuck who he said one time, he says, I would rather have, and this is a church of thousands, you know, they're in Costa Mesa, he says, I would rather have, you know, a spirit-filled middle schooler come up here and teach the Bible to the people than this doctorate, PhD, uh, um, seminary guy with all these, you know, diplomas and stuff who isn't filled with the Holy Spirit and dependable. Right, man, and that's so true, right? It, those talents and gifts mean nothing if you're not dependable, reliable. That's what the Lord needs, right? That's what we need. And so that's what we look for, actually, in ministry. And so we see that, um, again, uh, you, we need to know how to follow, right? right? And we will know how to lead. As, as we serve in ministry, man, we need to know how to follow those who are overseers in us in ministry. But also we, know how, we have to know how to lead because, you know, we're always going to have someone under you. And leadership, man, there's always someone following you. It doesn't matter if you're in a quote-unquote position or not, uh, or official title or not. Man, you always have someone following you. If you're a mother, if you're a father, you have your kids following you, right? If you're a brother, if you're a sister, man, you have your siblings following you. If you're, you know, uh, man, you always have someone following you if you really pay attention, right? So we need to know how to follow the Lord, but also we need to know how to lead. And we see uh, that servants, right, ministers are, are those who will do things others are not willing to do. Something that's what it takes. I think there was, there was Pastor Dale over at Golden Springs that he told a story one time of, I guess when they were, you know, doing the ministry there at Golden Springs and Dale was assistant pastor and um, he was, all right, you know, uh, here I guess there was one of those Sunday mornings and then he goes up to Sharon and she says, all right, Sharon, wherever you need me, you know, I'm here, I'm ready to serve and, uh, and she says, all right, can, 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 you go, uh, can you go help out with the, with the nursery, with the babies? And he says, no, no, he says, I can't because I don't, I don't do diapers, right? I don't change diapers. And uh, he's, he's all, is there somewhere else I could go or somewhere else I could help out at? And she says, uh, okay, Dell. And he, he said that she, she brought out a piece of paper. She starts writing. And she says, okay, Dell, tell me, what else won't you do for the Lord? And that moment, he's like, oh, man. He's like, you know, he's like, he's like, at that moment, I got the point. I got the point, right? And so we see that, that man, as servants of the Lord, we need to be willing to do things that others won't do. Sometimes it comes down to that. Man, I'm a teacher now, right? And I still, man, it doesn't mean that I won't do whatever I have to do, right? I mean, if I can't do it, I love to serve. I love to do whatever I can to serve God to people. That's just me. That's just the way I am, right? God has gifted me this way, but at the same time, just the way I am, right? I love to help. I love to just do things, right? Um, now, I mean, I guess I don't, I mean, my, my, my main focus is, man, studying and teaching. But, man, whenever I get a chance to serve, do anything I can, hey, Best believe, man, when we ripped out these, the, the floor that I was here, dude, I was in the jackhammer and doing all this, dude, I love doing this stuff, right? Nothing is above me. I'll do anything for the Lord, right? But, but sometimes we get into this mentality or people get into this mentality of ministry like, oh, no, that's not for me. That's for them. I'm just here to do worship or I'm just here to teach. Hey, I'm just here to do this. Let them worry, well, worry about all this stuff. No, man, we should be willing to serve at any capacity that God is calling us to serve because for God, it's all glorious. 
no matter what God has called you to do, whether it's wipe toilets or teach the kids or teach a Bible study from the pulpit, hey, it's all glorious work because for God, right? And so this is the type of people that, that, that you're going to look for in your ministry. Man, if God so wills that, 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 let's say, man, if this church, man, one day does grow and we're like super deep and, and maybe and God wants to use you guys as overseers in ministry, which you already are, right? Children to worship this stuff. And so if God wants to use you as overseers in ministry, these are the type of people that you're going to look for. Uh, called individuals, individuals who are not, uh, um, you know, looking for, for positions, for titles, right, for respect, and individuals who are willing to do whatever they need to do for the Lord, right, who are dependable, who are reliable. These are the type of people that you're going to look for in ministry. So keep that in mind. And so, uh, so many people are always trying to find the quickest way to grow in ministry, right? And they look at the church or they look at ministry in like a corporate type of view, where, okay, I'm going to start off doing maintenance, and then eventually, you know, I'm going to teach a Bible study, and then, you know, eventually, I'm going to do a Wednesday night, and then eventually, they're going to ordain me as a pastor, right? And that's how it works. They look at it as like, a, as like a program, right? And you take these steps in order to become a pastor, become a whatever it is that you're, that you're aiming for. And we see that's a completely wrong mindset, right? They bring in this workplace mentality. And really, we see that God has these basic steps to grow with him. That's man, faith, trust, and serve, right? And as you discover, man, there's no shortcut to maturity. There isn't, man. You got to learn patience. Sometimes you could have somebody who's been walking with the Lord for 10 years, but yet they never mature because they never uh, go the tough routes, take the hard way. They never learn uh, ministry. They never learn the heart of God. They never suffer. They never you know, go through it. They kind of just find the quickest way to go to grow in, in ministry and get into position, but yet they never, you know, they're never tried by God. They never allow themselves to be tried. And we see that, man. Man, I know people who have been walking longer with me that I can recognize and say, man, dude, you're like really mature in your walk, man. You're really mature when it comes to ministry. You know, and I see somebody who's been walking with the Lord for a short amount of time and they're like super mature in the Lord. And it's because, man, look, they're taking the time to hear from God, right? They have the right mentality, right? They have the right heart before the Lord. James would say this, he would say in James 1, 2, and 3, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Right? It was there in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus would say, By your patience, possess your souls. Right? So man, to mature in our walks with the Lord, man, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Right, but I but we should take the time, you know, man. Read great books, you know. Read the Bible first and foremost, you know. Grow in your knowledge of the Word, but also, hey, man, read great books, right? Uh, and we see that before I can conquer the world, man, I have to conquer myself. I can't go out there and be put in a in a position of a leadership or overseer or ministry leader if, man, if, if you know what, I'm all over the place. I can't conquer myself, right, man. But but I encourage you guys, man, take the time to read great books. I love one of the one of the one of our. One of mine and Liz's pastors or the teachers, you know, who always had a, a guy by the name of Danny Bond. He would say, all my friends are dead. All my, all my, all my friends are dead. And by that he meant, and man, all his friends were these old school authors, you know, who he would just spend so much time with. He's like, man, as I'm reading Tozer, as I'm reading, you know, Where's Grace, I'm reading all these other guys, you know, that, 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 read, that, that wrote these amazing books. So, man, he says, I feel so close to them, you know, I become friends with them, but they're all dead. He would say, all oh, my friends are dead. You know, because, man, he would take the time to be in these books, right? And, man, written by these, by these awesome men and women of God. 
So man, take the time to read a great book, try invest in a library, start building up your library, start reading. Um, first the Bible, like I said, but that should be first and foremost, but also man, secondary com- complementary books that are gonna help you grow in your walk. I have a book list and I have a couple things that I'm gonna send you guys out to. You can start kind of adding to your library. Pastor Chuck would say, a witness is one who not only proclaims what he believes, but he lives what he believes. And he is, he is what he believes. And he believes it so strongly that if necessary, he'll die for what he believes. Right? Man, that's us. We're all witnesses of the Lord. Notice what he says. A witness is not only someone who proclaims what, what he believes, but he lives what he believes. Anybody could come and say, hey, man, I'm a witness, right? I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian, right? And, and put that umbrella title over them. But really, a witness of the Lord is somebody who lives what he believes. Not just believes, believes it, but lives what he believes. He is what he believes. And he believes it so strong that if necessary, he'll die for what he believes. Right? And so this right here, the Bible, man, this is a hill that I'm willing to die on. Because I believe every single one of these words that is in the Bible. And I'll, I'll take it to my grave, right? And I'm willing to, to, to stand and to fall on this. And this is the hill that I'll die on. The truth of Scripture, the truth of God's Word. We see that Pastor Chuck saw that God is the initiator and man is the responder. He would say, for the love of Christ is what constrains us. God initiated our relationship by his great love for me. And I'm just responding to that love. He didn't, he recognized that man. God used him mightily, right? Through Pastor Chuck and through Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, which started off as a church of 25 uh, seasoned saints, older, older believers. Man, there's uh, thousands of Calvary Chapels now around the world. There's not a country where I believe where there's not a Calvary Chapel, you know, at least one Calvary Chapel. And, and all that was birthed out of, you know, man, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. But Pastor Chuck recognized, he's like, man, it's not because of me. He says, I'm not anything special. I just responded to the love of God in my life. And that's it. And God chose to do whatever he wanted through my life, right? Uh, he would say, man, God, for God so loved the world, John three sixteen, that he gave us his only begotten son. I mean, God loved us first, right? God initiated it. And we just responded. Pastor Chuck says, God initiated his love towards me, right? God reached out to me. God initiated my relationship with him. He chose me and Christ before the foundation of the world. And that's true for all of us. <coughs> that's what it says in Ephesians. That God chose us before the foundation of the earth. Notice that. Before the earth was ever formed, God had you in mind. You know, hey, I'm going to call you to myself, right? I chose you for myself. That's, that's heavy, actually, right? Because God knows what we, we were going to do, our mess-ups, our hiccups, our you know, our, 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 our trials, all these different things, our rebellion, and he still chose me from the foundation of the world. I heard somebody say, I'm glad God chose me before the foundation of the earth and before he knew me, because I don't think he would have chose me after he knew me, <laughs> right? But I'm so glad that God chose me before he knew me, right? And, and that's just kind of a funny way of saying, man, God is so good, you know, that he chose us knowing that we were going to be who we are, be our rebellious self, go through what we were going to go through and get... He still chose you before the foundations of the earth, right? God initiated this whole thing, right? And so Pastor Chuck would say, hey, man, what am I going to do then? Hey, but just respond to God. God called me, so I just respond. That's it. That's all we are, man. Are just, we're recipients of his grace, man. We're just responding to his calling. That's it. And whatever he wants to do with that, that's up to him. And so when you teach from this solid biblical perspective, you're going to discover that when the people really begin to understand God, Right? And what God has done for them, then they will want to respond to God. That's it, man. As we teach the word, right, believers begin to recognize, man, God did all this for me. I mean, he already took the first step. 
And so, you know what? I'm going to respond to that love. Now, I'm not going to respond to the pastor saying, hey, man, we need someone to do children's. We need someone to do this. We need someone to, you know, do, do sound. No, I'm going to respond to God's love. That's what I'm doing. Right? As I'm up here teaching the word, I'm responding to God's love. Right, Lord? Man, you love me so much. You saved me. You forgave me. You gave your son to die for me. Uh, Lord, I'll do anything for you. God said, all right, do this, do this, do that. And all right, uh, go plant a church. Okay, whatever you say, Lord. You know, I'm just responding to his love. Pastor Chuck would say, the church is to bring pleasure to him, right, to God, that we might be to the praise and glory of his grace. The Lord has created the church for his own good pleasure, and thus the church exists primarily for him, right? It's his church. It's God's church. Christ, Jesus said in, uh, Christ, Jesus Christ said in Matthew 16, 18, he says, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gate of hell shall not prevail against it. So we see that, man, the church belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to me, even though I'm the pastor. It's not my thing. All right? God, at any day, could choose to close the doors, and that's it, right? And take it away. It's His. It's always been His. It's always going to be His. So when we think about, oh, man, we, we need this, we need that, we need that, and right, people come to me, I go to God, come like, Lord, is your church, uh, Lord, your church needs parking. Lord, your church needs this. Lord, your church needs that. Hey, it's up to God, right? It's His church. My Lord, your church needs, all right, Lord, it's your church, right? I'm just, I'm just, uh, Steward, I'm just taking care of it from him. I'm just babysitting. And so we see that the church belongs to Jesus, right? And, and we are parts of his church. I am a part of his church. Now, there's only one person who can say, my church. And that is Jesus, right? It's his church. You go out there, you hear your pastor say, oh, my church. We do this. My, my church in this. And my church we have. It's like, hey, dude, it's not your church. Right? It's God's church. You got to remember that. It's God's church. It's God's church. Pastor Chuck would say, hey, the interesting thing about his church is that you can't join it. Right? You've got to be born into it. We are born again by the Spirit of God into the church of Jesus Christ. It is His church. Right? I mean, we, we, we join the church in the sense of like, all right, we, we, we start attending church and all that, but His church is the body of Christ. Right? That's what the Bible says, that, that the church is the bride of Christ. It's the body of Christ. Um, there's no application to join. Uh, okay, where do I sign up so I could join? Uh, let me see here. No, no, you just say, you... you, you you believe it, right? You're born into it again by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? By just believing in Christ. And I say that because there's a lot of churches out there who have uh, membership applications. All right, you want to be part of our church? Okay, uh, fill, fulfill these requirements, fill out a membership uh, form, and we're going to bring it by the board. And if they approve it, then all right, you know, you can be a member of this church. And we see that, man, where, did, where is that in Scripture? Right? It's nowhere in Scripture. I remember one of the first outreaches we ever did right here at City Terrace Park, we ran to a girl. Um, who was from, I want to see like Tennessee or something, somewhere out there, right? The Bible Belt. And so she had a very bad taste in her mouth about church. She was very turned off by church. And um, as we started talking to her, she's like, yeah, I know God, I know, God, I know Christianity, and this and that. She, she, she saw it in a very bad light. And um, as we begin to talk to her more, she begins, she begins to just break down. And um, Gigi, yeah, Gigi was there to her talking to her. And um, as we're talking to her, she begins to say, like, yeah, she's like, I tried joining the church. And she's like, and I don't understand why, you know, God will reject me. She's like, I'm, I came broken. Yeah, I was smoking cigarettes. Yeah, I was doing this. But you know what? I remember when I tried to join the church, I went through that petition and they denied me. She's like, also, all I was trying to do was just, was just, you know, to do good, to get close to God. So if he doesn't want me, then you know what? I don't want him either. And she begins to, you know, and, and when, as she was talking, I began to realize, man, okay, I know where she's coming from. I know what her background is with, with God or with church. But she associated that membership, you know, a whole little process to God and thinking, look, that God has to, you know, approve you and say, all right, you know, okay, you could join me. 
And I'm like, man, that's not God. We, we, we began to minister and say, look, that's not the Lord. That's not biblical, right? Hey, God says, whosoever will, hey, let him come. Let him come, right? It's by faith. It's not that you got to join a church, you know, or fill out an application, take it to the board or whatever. No, man. God says, come. You know, all whoever will, come. Whoever believes, come. And so we see then, what then is the purpose of the church? Again, one is to bring glory to God, right? To be God's instrument of ministry to the Lord. Two, the church exists for the edifying or the building up of the saints. Three, to bring the saints, that's the believers, into full maturity and so that they might engage in the work of the ministry that God has called them to into, right? And so, um, how long has it been? Should we, you guys want to take a break or should we keep on going? Um, can someone scroll all the way down? See how much? If you guys want to take a break, we can take a break. If not, then you good? Babe, yeah? Just rolling. So we see there uh, that the we see now the fourfold pattern of Calvary Chapel in Acts two forty two, and so we take kind of this 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 fourfold pattern, you know, of, of of the church, and this is kind of our foundational pillars. And there in Acts two forty two, we see this, and it says, "I'm going to read it for you." In Acts two forty two, we see that the church, as it was growing. It says this, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayer. And for us as a church here at Calvary Chapel City Terrace, these are our four foundational pillars. That's something you're always going to be, that we're always going to stand on. Everything else that's done after this is secondary, right? Uh, Outreaches, evangelism, this, that, whatever, right? Thanksgiving outreach, anything else that we do is secondary. But these are our four pillars. This is something that's always going to identify us and the moment that you you know realize that we stop doing one of these things you man you could say oh you know, something's wrong something's wrong all of a sudden we're not taking a biblical uh, uh, point now because we see that we take our fourfold pattern for how we do church right our, our four pillars we take them from the book of acts acts 242 that that's the believers they continue steadfastly in the apostles doctrine right and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. So doctrine is teaching of the truth, which is what we do. We teach through the Bible, right? Fellowship is that fellowship we have with one another, with the body of Christ, right? Uh, building up with one each other, encouraging each other. The breaking of bread is communion, which we, we typically do once a month. And um, as remembrance to, to the Lord and in prayer, right? In prayer. So that's something that's always going to be found at our church, no matter what. Every, these are our four foundational pillars. These are our pillars that we stand and die on, right? We're always going to be doing these things no matter what because they're biblical. That's what the first century church did. Notice there in Acts 2.42, right? They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and, uh, and, and prayer and the breaking of bread, right? And uh, fellowship, all these things. So that's what we do here. And so Pastor Chuck would say, we decided that these would be the essential elements of our worship and fellowship. And this is the emphasis at Calvary Chapel would be the teaching of the word. We would teach them solid doctrine, right? Scriptural doctrine. We would teach them about God. We would teach them about Jesus Christ. We would teach them about the Holy Spirit, about man, about sin. That's man, that's mankind. The nature of man, about sin, about salvation, and about the purpose of the church. And we would teach them about the coming again of Jesus Christ. Right, man, Jesus coming back. That's what the Bible teaches, you know. The rapture of the church, but also the second coming. And so... We would teach solid doctrine, right? The apostles' doctrine. That's what the apostles taught. 
uh, James, John, Peter, you know, all these different guys, the 12 apostles, that's what they taught. That's what the first century church taught, right? These things. And so, again, back to Acts 2, there in 46, it says, So continually, daily, with one accord, that's in unity in the temple, and breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with a gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And, they, and the Lord added to the church daily those we're being saved. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I want to just, uh, Lord, lift up this time to you, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to grow in unity as we go through this uh, this study, Lord, and uh, Father, help us to grow in depth uh, of knowledge and love and truth with you, Lord. Build us up, Lord, as strong believers. Build us up as just your sons, your daughters, Lord. We just desire to please you in everything we do, Father. I pray that, Lord, that this would be just, uh, Lord, a pleasing thing unto you. And I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. With that, I want to open it up. If, uh, is there any um, questions? Maybe you had any questions about the notes? Maybe something that was said? Maybe um, just anything that's kind of floating around right now? I want to open that up right now to uh, questions. Anybody have any questions? Yeah, I do. Cool. I was back in the beginning.